motherfuckers what's What's going on welcome back to another quarantine episode of rock isn't dead it's just sleeping with yours truly willie whitebread and my illustrious co-hosts are here with me not here with but here on the line with me yep the audio slave's here audio slave is here and then mr drew you're here what's up how fantastic we are gathered here today to talk about the uh, fucking pioneers of heavy metal music. We're going to be talking about ABBA. Oh, man, I can't wait. I love the Norwegian <laughs> band. <laughs> Kidding. We're going to hear We're going to talk about a little band you may know called Black Sabbath. You got to say mm. it right. Black fucking Sabbath. Black fucking Sabbath. Yes. A group of uh, four amazing musicians from Birmingham, England. Tony Iommi, the uh, illustrious four-fingered guitar player. Drummer Bill Ward, Geezer Butler, the bassist, and of course, the ever so uh, famous Ozzy Osbourne. Never heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the vampire bat hater himself, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, so what, got, what got you guys into Black Sabbath? I remember specific moments for me. When, what what kind of got you guys into Sabbath? Who introduced you to Black Sabbath? Uh, probably all my stoner burner fan- friends. <laughs> you're yeah. growing up i mean it, yeah they're one of those bands where you just hear the song once and it's like it's burned into your memory for your entire life you know they're just yeah so, they're, the riffs are so iconic you know they were that good oh yeah oh, what yeah. about you drew sabbath bloody sabbath man sabbath bloody sabbath <laughs> all those all the all their first uh you know all their aussie albums and their their albums after aussie were, were pretty good too but uh all their albums their first eight albums with aussie they were just absolute powerhouse albums specifically the first i'd say three or four i mean what other band could possibly do this trifecta they have a song the same as the name of their band the same as the name of their title album i mean <laughs> it's a, who does that nobody nobody does you're actually right nobody nobody fucking does that <laughs> so uh, so how did how did black sabbath start we're uh we're talking about because tony iomi and uh bill ward they were in a, a band called uh i think mythology in mm-hmm. in 68 and they broke up in 68 and then uh you know ozzy osbourne put out a uh, you know, a, a request. He pinned a pinned a piece of paper up to a music shop requesting a uh, a band, and you know, yep. Geezer Butler found it. And, mm-hmm. so, and he's and like, up. he's like, he says he has his own PA and everything. Yeah, he's got his own PA. You know, that's how they uh, that's how they kind of came together. And it was really interesting to me the first because um, back in these days, it was still like we've talked about many times before. It was still the blues movement was what was going on. Oh, yeah. You know, and the the name of their band before, obviously, before Earth and before Sabbath was, uh, you know, Polka Tolk Blues Band. Polka Tolk Blues Band. <laughs> you know, and that's, well, that's we're still in the 60s. We're still in the 60s. So, I mean, the times really haven't caught on to the, to the modern rock and roll scene yet. Right. Exactly. It was still it was still, you know, bands like the Stones and everybody still fucking with the blues Clapton. And, you know, we, we've yet to give birth to, to Zeppelin, the the screaming classic rock era has yet to bud at this point it was kind of just budding into the you know on the on the west coast of of america side of things the psychedelic rock movement and obviously england was probably the one you know they were definitely the ones that were toying with the most 
you know, unique, different styles of variations of blues. They were taking blues and taking a step further, right? It, I, right. I don't think that these guys are the pioneers of metal, in my opinion. I, mean, uh, I still think Led Zeppelin is. I, I mean, Led Zeppelin was coming out with two by that time. But I don't know, man. Black Sabbath, the, the, the big arguing point for me for Black Sabbath being the ones that started heavy metal is because look at the kind I mean, I agree with you that, that Led Zeppelin, and you know, I'm a huge Zeppelin fan all day long. I will fucking talk about Zeppelin until my lips fall on the fucking floor. <laughs> but Black Sabbath, the thing, it, it wasn't necessarily what they were singing. It was how they were how singing they were it, it. Their, their, their lyrics and their instrumentals. Oh, now, yeah, it's arguable that they did start metal, but maybe not. I mean, there are people out there who 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 think like Drew along those those same lines. However, their their title track to the to, to the album, it's so dark. Nobody, oh, yeah, nobody was was making music that dark and scary. And you just you just like you know you listen Ominous. to it. You, you listen to it. You're like, oh shit! And then he starts. And then he starts his like his crazy lyrics, and and it's just like. You're almost during those times. They were probably scared when you when you first heard that in 1970. You're probably scared. Isn't there like a isn't there like a rumor or something like that? If you played the record backwards, like Black Sabbath, oh, there's like, there's fucking rumors about everything. Yeah, Zeppelin's got rumors you know, and, and but, stairway. But like uh like Mark said, like if you listen to those lyrics, like what is this that stands before me? Figure in black, which points at you know like. That's just such ominous. And, and also a, another driving point to the, the fact that, you know, they, they could be contributed to the beginning of heavy metal is listen to the way Tony Iommi plays. Please. He's, he's down tuned w- way lower than it. Nobody played hardly played outside of, you know, standard E tuning. Yeah. Nobody then. was in D or C back then. Yeah. Nobody was in drop tuning back then. And Tony dropped, he had his guitar tuned. I think it was at least drop D maybe even drop C. Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe probably not quite drop B, but uh, but anyway, so, you know, that's an arguable point. But they were definitely one of the first doomy, gloomy bands out there, because oh. also there's an arguing point where Blue Cheer, people can say that Blue Cheer, because they, they were around in the late 60s and they were pretty they were pretty heavy for their time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, like Summertime Blues, if you guys haven't heard that, go check out um, Blue Cheer's version of Summertime Blues. And it's pretty good. It's it's heavy. It's way heavy. It's really good, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so after the the what was it the the polka talk blues band they uh, they so they're together at this point. Um, you know, Ozzy Geezer, you know, Bill and Tony, and they become Earth. Earth. I'm glad they changed the name. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think I could I would have dealt very, with it. That, I mean, it would have been what it, what it would have been, but but that doesn't match their that doesn't match their it doesn't match their first picture their ominous their, their iconic picture on the album cover of their first album with you know with yeah that, with, that weird lady standing in the field by the church exactly that and would have said earth <laughs> yeah. yeah earth like i would expect like to see like richard simmons holding a flower or something off in the distance rather than a, <laughs> yeah. a lady a norwegian black metal lady dressed in all black you know right but uh so they had actually a couple good songs. Like if you guys can find them, I think on YouTube you can find a couple of their variations when they were, um, or a couple of songs they wrote under Earth, like the Rebel or Song for Jim or When I Came Down. The Rebel's actually a really good song. Okay, I haven't. Heard, a, I've never heard it. That's a pretty good song. Oh, and I, I did forget to mention too in their in their original band they had a, a saxophone and a steel guitar player, which 
I think, like I said, they, they, they were going through it this time with every other band in the world goes through, you know, when they first get together, experimentation, you know, especially during those times and especially in England. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, because they were taking that. They finally got their hands on the blues tapes, the Muddy Waters and, and all that kind of stuff, B.B. King, Albert King, whatever. And, uh, and they, were, they were changing it up. As, as we always say on Rock Isn't Dead, you know, the ever-present lingering factor of wanting, hard, wanting to play something harder, faster, stronger, you know. And so that's kind of where they got their, their, driving, uh, their driving force from. And it was also interesting to me that they almost weren't a thing. Yeah. Because Tony Iommi left Earth for a little while to join Jethro Tull. Yeah. Yeah. I never knew that. That's true. Yeah, but that um, was really. Uh, Jeth- it was there. We only with him for a slow time. Jethro Tull later later said that um, there was no, there was no way that Iommi could have could have stayed in the band because of um, he wouldn't be technical enough the way his fingers were. Yeah, why don't you talk about that? How were his fingers, Mark? Well, he had an accident. He was uh, he was a uh, fabricating some kind of metal for something that he was trying to torch up and. And yeah, he was a welder. <laughs> he wasn't. He wasn't too experienced with the machine. So when he went to go to do something to get the metal to come down, it just came down way too fast, and it pretty much took off his middle finger and his ring finger on his left hand. Or no, I guess he's a he's a his right hand because he's a, yeah. he plays guitar lefty. So he yeah. um, for his for his uh, middle finger, he had to make this like uh, leather cap. cap. Yeah, exactly, and that's what kind of gives everybody keeps saying like that's what keeps that's what gets uh, Black Sabbath guitar sound that scratchy type you know sound that's different than everybody else's. But yeah. Jethro Tull said, you know, he, he well, I, it was I only left the Jethro Tull because he he didn't want to deal with uh, Jethro's early morning practice schedules. Like they were like practicing like seven o'clock in the morning every day, and he was yeah. like Ian. he was like fuck this, I'm going back to Sabbath. So, right. Ian Ander- yeah, Ian Anderson. He was he was very much a uh, he was it was very much his band. Oh yeah, it, it was the same way. He was the same way as like you know like Skinner and all those guys like and the Almond Brothers and all that. It, it was very much his vision. Ian Anderson and and Naomi was like one. You guys are bitches. I ain't fucking with no flute. And two, <laughs> I ain't fucking with no seven a.m. practices when I've been up doing coke till fucking five thirty. <laughs> so <laughs> kiss my ass. So uh, following that, uh, the band was Earth was rehearsing. Uh, and across from their rehearsal studio, as they're tossing back and forth ideas on how to, you know, gain notoriety and be unique, there was a uh, a filming star, a film starring Boris Karloff called Black Sabbath. It was a horror film, and it, they, the guys got together and watched it, and they're like, you know what? What if we like, what if we just wrote our music as a horror movie? Yes. Yeah. You know. Because what if we- that's thus thus it begins, and like that's. Where you guys are saying, you know, that's where the metal starts for for most of it, right? Yeah. Well, their their oh, their thought behind that was the fact that people spend a lot of money on horror movies; they like to be scared. What about audio? You know. Right. Exactly. And like when in the opening track off their first album, like you said, their self titled album, in the Black Sabbath, the track number one, when Ozzy starts screaming, "Oh, please, God, no!" Like that's. Back then, it's brutal. that was yeah, that was brutal, dude. That was like Norwegian black metal of the '60s. Yeah, it's, I mean, to listen to it still today, <laughs> it kind of gives you chills, you know. Absolutely. Even Rob Halford, the frontman of Judas Priest, he even still called the track. He's like, "That's probably the most evil song ever written. Mm-hmm. One of the most evil songs ever written." Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's. I mean, it's not as technical as the shit that you would see nowadays, but just the basis behind it and the ominous kind of, you know, the ominous kind of feel to it. 
I'm glad that well, it, gives, it gives it gives the name credibility because I mean that's having a Black Sabbath would definitely lead to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And that was released in uh, in 1970, actually, on my birthday, February 13th, which is pretty cool. Um, but that uh, that album had a lot of great songs onto it on it, especially uh, you know side one. Yeah, you know the Wizard NIB NIB is still one of their claims to fame, still one of their staples. Oh, the whole album is just sick. Whole album, man. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, they, they got famous quicker because uh, the radio stations during that time, they were like, no, nah, it's too dark. We're not playing that. And then just because of that fact alone, everybody was just like, well, I want to listen to it. It makes me want to buy the record even more then because the radio wouldn't play it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, they were signed to Phillips Records in, uh, in November of 69. And like you had said, they finally found a radio station. That's kind of when they took off. Uh, they appeared on John Peel's Top Gear radio show in 69 and they performed uh, Black Sabbath, NIB, and Behind the Wall of Sleep nice. and, uh, to a national audience, you know, over the radio. And that's when they were like, holy shit. You know, they started getting, you know, the Nirvana factor going in. You got any more of that Black Sabbath? Yeah. Yep. That Black Sabbath? Overnight success. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it reached it reached number eight in, on the UK charts almost immediately. It was also yeah. released on Friday the 13th. It had the yeah. controversy with that lady, that lady committing suicide or something like that. Um, oh, I didn't hear about that. Yeah, she, she I forget, some lady... They found these cops or whatever. They found the album on her um, turntable, and then it was like some big. Oh, I remember that. It was like some big controversy about whether or not she was she killed herself due to the nature of the of the album or the uh, the, the lyrics but, being satanic. And then, yeah, that's, that's Ozzy had that following him for for eons. I was right. I was right about to say that, dude. Ozzy's been fucking half charged with people killing themselves for 50 I'll tell you years. what, my, my cousin, <laughs> my know? cousin Michael, when I, I was in, when I was in fifth grade, he blew his brains out in my aunt and uncle's bathroom. And in his little uh, Walkman, little cassette, it was uh, Ozzy Osbourne's, you know, suicide solution. That's, and so they were like, oh, it had to have been Ozzy, you know, and, but I don't think it, I don't really? think, yeah, oh yeah, I don't think it was. My uncle had an antique gun and he had drilled into the into the uh, gun ca- gun case and uh, the bullets were even kept in, in a separate, you know, safe. And he broke into the, he drilled into that safe as well. And then, yeah, he, he did it. Damn, that's fucking brutal, dude. Well, right? Yeah, they were going to send him back, I guess, to rehab. So uh, he didn't want to. Sounded like that would have done him some fucking good. Christ. Yeah, it was not. Well, at least at least he was listening to good tunes at the end. Oh, he was uh, a right? total 80s metalhead. He was like the poster boy, you know, he had the. The jeans with the no, you know, the knees are all ripped out of them, and he always was wearing an Aussie or Rat or you know Molly Crew shirts. Fucking Rat, yeah, yeah fucking solid. I definitely have to say the first side of that album is is really good. Especially, oh, it's it's great, and, and I like, and, and you know, some of the songs are so influential to like bands like you know even like Planet Caravan and um, Pantera covering it at the end of uh, what was that Far Beyond Driven? Yeah. So I mean, it's just influential. Hand of Doom's also badass. Mm-hmm. But well, if you'll see, like you know, after that album started coming out, that that started giving birth to all of the English metalheads. You know, like if you talk to any, you know, if you read read any interview or or you know any press release or watch any interview with say like you know Judas Priest or you know uh, Iron Maiden or any of these guys, they're gonna they're gonna say who's your uh, who's your biggest influence? They're gonna go Black Sabbath. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. Fucking fucking Tony Iommi, 
Ozzy, Black Sabbath. You know, and it was always funny to me, too, because, like, uh, the persona of, of, of past, like, say, 60s, 70s metalheads versus the, the metalheads of today. Like, you know, you see metalheads today. They're all, like, everything's got to be super fucking brutal. Like, well, fucking brutal, dude. Mm-hmm. You know, fucking brutal. Cannibal Corpse, brutal. Everything's brutal. Yeah. Album cover, brutal. Yeah. Lyrics, can't understand any of them, but make them brutal. Yeah. Yeah, interviews, gotta act brutal. But, like, if you look back then, like, to how Ozzy was on stage, he was a fucking child, man. Yeah. He, he was all over the place. He would wear, like, white tassels and, and all sorts well, of he shit. Well, like, he was also a clown, too. He, he was just always looking to have a good time, you know, getting drunk and, you know, just having fucking fun. If somebody came up to Ozzy during that time and said, man, you're a really great singer, he would laugh at him and be like, I'm not, I'm not a good singer. I don't, I yeah, don't think I'm exactly. a good singer. Yeah, exactly. It, it just added a whole new level of like, you know, uniquity, if that's even a word to, you know, to their band and their 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 style of playing and the way they played their shows that always kind of, you know, yeah. always sparked an interest in me. Uh, but anyway, so it was uh, released February 13th, 1970 on the UK side. It was released in May of 1970 by <laughs> Warner Brothers and uh, jumped to the number 23 slot on the Billboard 200 where it stayed there for over a year. Which was awesome, and that that kind of gave them their first mainstream exposure, which is like any other band. Which is a weird, it's a weird concept to me because you know, like we've talked about in the past with American bands, they go over to Europe to get big, and then that gets them big back in the U.S. And then European bands are like, oh, we can't wait to get to the U.S. because that's when we know we made it. Isn't that such a weird concept? Yeah. It's a weird concept. Yeah, I guess that's the way it goes. Yeah. But super, super weird concept to me. But yeah, I'd still agree that you know most of the UK was still in that blues mode, man. Yeah. So it was kind well, of hard. They were they were doing that, but see, you got you had guys like you know like say Clapton and 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 guys like that that were that were holding tight with the blues thing, and then you had different variations that people were amping it up, and you got bands like the Stones that were pushing it a little bit a level further, and then you had you know, Black Sabbath, who was completely in right field. You know, Led Zeppelin stepped it up a little bit from the Stones, and then you had Sabbath, who was just way off. Like, he, they were unlike anybody. Yeah, and that, that's what they, the look they were going for, though. You know, they wanted, they wanted to have that look because yeah. the people are attracted to the darkness, you know? And then, yep. Yeah, I love it. And so their follow-up album, their follow-up album released the same year in uh, September – uh, September 18th, 1970, Paranoid. Now, what a fucking album, dude. Right. And Paranoid, the track itself, I mean, it's just one of those, you hear the first note, you automatically know it's Paranoid. I mean, oh, yeah. Absolutely. More big. Now, that was a more pop tune, I guess, for that album, I would say. You know, that's, you know, that was, I guess that was the track that they wanted to produce for the masses or whatever. But, the, that was a last minute one too and that's what's yes it was it was it was like the well the, the the song itself in the studio took about a month or no i'm sorry about about a week i think yeah but but it was a filler song but the song the the creation of the song it was just like kind of like at, at the end of one one of the practices spur of the moment just came out of nowhere they were just jamming and that's what came out and they were like fuck that's a good song let's let's keep it see this is where yes. i like to talk about black sabbath because i i really this is where they really begin is with with paranoid man yeah oh yeah yeah oh absolutely my, they're huge my, now. my worst thing doing this show is you guys always want to get ahead of things and and it's just this album just catapults them into in stardom right here mm-hmm. oh absolutely because they're like i said their their first album their debut album actually made it to the u.s which is very rare 
it's very rare for for a band to jump right over across the pond like that off Absolutely. the initial album. Yeah. You know, and that's that's pretty fucking cool. Uh, in Paranoid, like I said, there's there's a couple things I do when I go like, oh, this is honest to God's truth. When I step into my music room to play guitar, I'm like, okay, got a tune. Let me run down the fretboard with some pentatonics. All right, now let's jump into Paranoid to warm the hands up real quick. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's like the first song I always play when I go when I go practice. Cool. It's fucking Paranoid. Yeah. Well, Iron Man was one of my first songs I ever learned on guitar. Oh man, that's an. I mean, goddamn, like Paranoid, War Pigs. You know, Iron Man, Electric Funeral, Hand of Doom, Fairies Wear Boots, like that. All of these songs were just absolutely amazing. Oh, yeah. Yep. It defined them. It was, it's definitely a good album. I would definitely say it's got to be in the top 100 albums of all time. Oh, guaranteed. I'm sure it is. No, it's, uh, it was actually ranked by Rolling Stone number 131 Boom. of the 500 greatest albums of all time. And then I'd have to say Master of Reality would go right with it, too. It's got to be. Probably. I can't say in the top 100s, but I'd say right up there in the top couple hundred. Oh, least. yeah. Easily. And, and like I said, and I also like how with Paranoid, with the Paranoid album, they introduced a little bit of controversy you know, with war pigs, because that was obviously a critical stab at the Vietnam War. Yeah. You know, and that was actually going to be their, uh, their, the title of the album well, was War Pigs, but they changed it. Warner Brothers changed it at the end to the, you know, paranoid. Everything that they did, they had meaning behind it. All the lyrics that they chose took, you know, a, lo- a while, you know, so, and then the music itself, had 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 you know the way way it starts off slow and then it goes fast and then it goes back to being slow it's all done intentionally you know um they have just direct masters of, of of like of doing that swell of timekeeping on their songs yeah i love that yeah. that wasn't their that wasn't their uh lead off single was it no war pigs was their lead off single. yeah that was paranoid was war- the second yeah and then iron man what a powerhouse song. That's probably one of the most covered songs ever. Oh, Planet Caravan was on that album. Oh, yeah. That was the one from Pantera, Pantera you know, re-recorded. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Um, uh, the U.S. released it in January 71, and it was still on the charts in the U.K. And it, I mean, the album reached number 12 in the U.S. right off the rip. Yeah. You know, and so now now they're getting worldwide exposure, and they're they're jumping between the pond you know, between the land masses to, to tour and all that. And that, like you said, this, their paranoid album that really did jumpstart them into the canon, fucking fired off into reality. You know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and it also gave them drug money. Cause that's, that's another thing to, to talk about with Sabbath is they were all and people. People think they're like, Oh man, Ozzy's the fucking, he was the shithead of the group. He was bad, but they were all bad. Like Bill Ward was a fucking drunk. <laughs> Oh, yeah. They smoked a lot of weed, too, didn't they? Oh, God. <laughs> they smoked a lot of everything. Right. <laughs> yeah. They were junkheads back then in the 1970s. Yeah. Ozzy, like, he'd walk down the street and be, walk up to a fucking Mexican street corn vendor and fucking roll that up and smoke. Well, he'd fucking there smoke were, anything. There were giant quaaludes called Ozzy's that, that were named after Ozzy back then. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, even... I'm, I'm more than sure. I, I knew I used to know a guy who had a freezer full of them from the 70s. <laughs> I'm sure you knew a guy who knew a guy. Was it like no? A I knew Wolf a guy. My my buddy's friend. We went over over there, and then he showed him. Over there, he pulled him out of the freezer, and sure enough, he got these Aussies. Man, they were these giant fucking quaaludes <laughs> from the 70s. From the 70s, he still had them. 
was it like uh was it like fucking wolf of wall street you take like six of them and you're like an hour later you go no fucking i'm grave? i'm talking giant do you like half the size of your hand they were huge like you had to break a piece off to take it <laughs> i was gonna say what do you do you like eat it like a fucking ice cream sandwich like what do you i don't know like <laughs> he's like i've had these for does, 20 years i'm like <laughs> Jesus i, I wouldn't recommend yeah, you taking those even in an interview uh, that they had after the release of Paranoid, Bill Ward even says that we were getting into coke big time, uppers, downers, quaaludes, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they were, yeah, they were just they, they were, were rock stars for God's sakes. Yeah, yeah. And and back then there was what the fuck else was there to do? Exactly. Everybody was you know now, everybody was trying to expand their mind, man. Yeah, rock stars now they're fucking you know they're doing Instagram videos and you know whatever else. Back then they were just fucking partying. What the hell just happened? Holy no shit. Idea. Somebody take a quaalude and fucking drop out. <laughs> God damn, Mark's dead, bro. I'm dead? Mark, are you dead? Uh, they got me. Those mother- Don't eat the fucking quaaludes. Those motherfucking Aussies got me. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, Master Reality, the third album, uh, production was complete in April of 1971, six months after the release of Paranoid. Uh, once again, Chart top charted uh the this time it charted the first time top ten in the US and the UK and was certified gold in less than two months. Dope. Uh yeah. Absolutely fucking fantastic. And that's probably my second favorite Sabbath album. You know, you got Sweet Leaf, Children of the Grave, Into the Void, Lord of This World. Like the, once again, an abs yeah, embryo. Once again, an absolute powerhouse oh, yeah. of an album. Yeah. I mean you know this one was the one where they had or did they did they did they this is one with yeah, man. man. So it's got the uh, it's oh, got yeah. the uh, acoustic shit. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And st- it's so funny, man. Still to this day, my dad, my dad literally cannot cough more than once without going into the school. <laughs> <fucking thing. laughs> yeah. If he coughs more than once, he fucking. That was the Ioni coughing on a a joint, right? No. Oh yeah. <laughs> yep. I know what's funny. Like this is the first. So they've gained their notoriety at this point. They're they're definitely bigger. You know, one of the bigger bands that's out right now. And uh, they started getting their critical responses. You ever seen that movie? What's that movie about the um, the Rolling Stone kid that was traveling, almost famous? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. And so that that kind of first introduced me to Lester Bangs, uh, who was, I guess, one of those far out writers for Rolling Stones at the time with like. Ben Fong Torres and all those kind of cats. So Lester Banks started throwing out a bunch of negative reviews. And that motherfucker, like pe- people like that just piss me off, man. I know like it's cool to remain subjective in life. And, you know, music's not for everybody. But like this dude mm. is a dick. He was talking about uh, Master of Reality. He was saying, oh, the, the album was naive, simplistic, repetitive, and absolute dog roll. Yeah, well, <laughs> opinions are like assholes. And I was like, got one, right? <laughs> Yeah, I was like, fuck this guy. I hope he fucking dropped a toaster in his fucking shower. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so anyway, uh, yeah, went gold first two months, uh, you know, and I'm not going to go too into deep uh, into depth between volume four and this because it's the same thing that happens in every other, you know, following every other big band release. They're going to yeah, tour, right? right? Drop right. album tour, drop album tour, drop album tour. Uh, so they mm-hmm. did their first world tour in 72. And then after that, they took their first break for a little while um, because they were getting pushed to the fucking breaking point like every other band back then. I think I think back then, before they had like all of these limits from record companies and like 
labor laws and I guess what have you. Uh, these bands, they were driving them into the fucking well, the, no, ground. There was no then. rules like, back then. It was just like party hard. Exactly. And let's go. Yeah, like Zeppelin and Floyd and Sabbath and all these guys. Like that was the goal of these record companies was to pump these fuckers so full of drugs that they literally are just floating through the time space continuum and just pumping fucking music out, just draining them dry. Yes. <laughs> they made fucking great albums. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I like. I love that song from Floyd. Have a cigar. Like that's one of my favorite songs of them. Just kind of just dis- like displaying what it's like with these big record companies. You know, they're just a bunch of lying soul squeezers you know but uh so they did finally take a break and uh because they were i mean they were getting burned out they were so fucking pumped full of drugs and constantly touring that they could barely take a breath you know and they wanted to take their time with the following album which is uh that's when they moved over to um over to the u.s to la to start in in june of 72 to start working on their Mm -hmm. next album at the record plant um and that was volume four makes sense because uh one of their songs on that album was changes yeah, and uh, they had a lot of problems during the recording of this album. They took well, a long time. And, and they the were doing a lot of, of cocaine, too. Um, I mean, for God's sake, Snowblind was on this album. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And that's what, uh, you know, Tony Iommi said. He said all we would do is just kind of sit in the middle of the room and just do drugs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and Bill Ward. Bill Ward. Do what you got to do, man. Make that music. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, Bill Ward, he almost got fired for the first time of 96. Uh, what what the fuck are you doing, Mark? I was yeah. moving my chair. Is that all right? It sounds like you're assembling a fucking IKEA rocket set in there. <laughs> my God, bro! This, or you're fucking these a mics box are of just Legos. way too sensitive. You know? Uh, yeah, are you fucking a box of no, Legos? My chair is bumping into the table. <laughs> God damn it! Well, it's stay still. This is the nickname, the Lego fucker. <laughs> the Lego fucker. Stay still, Billy Goat. Uh, <laughs> I won't move the rest of the cast, I promise. Don't, don't move at all. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so yeah, Bill, Bill Ward thought he was going to get fired, and they ended up not firing, even though Tony Iommi was pretty serious about it. They were going to. But with, so like you said, recording songs like Snowblind, they weren't all saints. None of them were fucking saints. I imagine Ozzy was fucking jumping off the walls and fucking running his head through shit and shitting in the freezer and all sorts of stuff that he was probably doing. Fighting heads off bats. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, Volume 4 released uh, September 72. Uh, eh, Didn't didn't get a whole lot of critical dismissiveness. Didn't get a whole lot of praise either. But it did, you know, kind of piggybacked off their name, off their previous three albums, and it went gold. Super nice. Fantastic song as well. Yeah. Oh, all great. Oh, great. Volume four. That was one. I wouldn't say it's one of my favorites, but uh, Snowblind and That's what uh, I'm Changes, saying. obviously. Changes Each album, good. you pull three or four of their, of their set list tracks off of. I mean, this is definitely a three set list track, like for, for a future show, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is also, um, this is also after the, after the release of volume four, this is when they got serious again and jumped back across the pond and went and uh, rented out Clearwell Castle and the forest of Dean and uh, started recording and they wanted to get back to their roots with Sabby, Sabbath, bloody Sabbath. They wanted to get back to their, this one, this one's my favorite album. Dude. This is probably my third favorite album. Like I love this album. This is a great yeah. fucking album. Uh, they, so good. they rehearsed in the dungeons of the castle, which kind of like brought them into that creepy mm-hmm. atmosphere. Dope. You know, and they said the mojo started coming back to them at that point, you know, did uh, you see that fucking and, ghost over you know, there, Sharon? 
Yeah. Sharon. <laughs> Fucking Sharon. That, one of the songs in this album, they actually have a great guitar pedal that I'm thinking about buying. Uh, Sabra Cadabra. Yeah. Yeah. Sabra Cadabra guitar pedal. I'm, sorry, I'm thinking mm. about buying that. It's yes. got a great Tony Iommi sound. If any of you guitar players out there are wanting to wanting to really push the Tony yeah. Iommi sound, the Sabra Cadabra pedal is oh, pretty fucking that sweet. Rig. That has, that has uh, Rick Wakeman on it, too, doing keyboards. Yep. That's fucking dope. That is dope. Yeah, yes, keyboardist. Having, having, having somebody like that doing an album on there, I mean, that had to have been something special for that band. Because like, that's, yes, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? I mean, just a badass progressive band, and they're having him coming in and play keyboards on that. It's just, fuck, it's just cool as fuck, dude. Oh, yeah. Yes is probably one of my favorite bands. Like, when I get in a real progressive kind of mood, Yes is where it's going. You know, the, like the Yes, Genesis, King, Crimson, Jethro kind of mood. Uh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, Yes is uh, maybe a little Emerson, Lake, and Palmer thrown in there a Absolutely. little bit. You know? <laughs> Too cool, though. Just a cool, cool thing. Yeah, but see, they're still dabbling and trying to stay within the new. You know, they're going back to their roots, but they're introducing, you know, newer elements in it, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And I like to do I, I like that they had a a, a a track in there called yeah. Fluff. Yes. That's pretty funny. A fluff Saber track. Cadabra. <laughs> yeah. And then Killing Yourself to Live, that's another good one. Absolutely. Absolutely. Inspire and uh Spire mm-hmm. Architect, great. The whole album's yeah. good, man. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just a really good album after all the shit that they've been doing, especially with the album prior to that. It's just it, it was like finally yeah. they're back. Yeah. There's, there's only yeah. eight songs, because their... each song is like five and six minutes long. Absolutely, which yeah. is yeah. cool as fuck too, yeah. man. What a great and that's a great, and that, that's a great that, tip and that right there. Right there looks, that's gonna make good. you know, that's the kids in the seventies in their basements. That's what they wanted, man. They wanted these long solos, man. You know, that was yeah. the thing. I just I'm a, I've just always been so impressed with with Iomi's guitar playing, being that he has you know, he's missing the tip of one of his fingers and his one of his other fingers is shorter than the other one that he can adapt. Uh, you know, because I'm not going to say he was a guitar well, you, hero. You know, he was anything, really, you know, he was real depressed great. and he was going to give up music. And his boss at the mm-hmm. factory was like, you're going to give up music. And he's like, he's like, yeah, man, look at my fingers. And so the boss was like, well, come here and listen to this. And it was some, some, I forget who it was, but it was some guy who had like one finger or some shit. And he's playing a killer guitar. Yeah. And, and he was like, you like this? He's like, oh yeah, this is really good, man. Who is this? He's like, this guy's got one finger. Go back to your fucking band. He pretty much told him like that. And he's like, oh, I guess he's, he's right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd, I'd probably feel a little sorry for myself too. You know, if I was a, you know, I don't know, a famous motorcycle mechanic and somebody chopped off. Well, my yeah, head. you're going to get be well, down. You're going to be down the fucking. Yeah. Back, there's, there's this guy from like the uh, 1920s to the thirties. His name was Django Reinhardt. And oh yeah. Yeah. Got his hands mangled um, and burnt and fused together. And he has got to be hands down one of the the best guitar virtuosos ever. And it seems to me that some that something happens to these guitar players, and you know they become just great at what they're doing. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, be, yeah. Probably practicing more because they have their their uh, their handicaps. So in, in turn, in turn, it makes them a right. better player. You know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, after the release of, of uh, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, they began another world tour in January of uh, 74, which, uh, which contained one of their more famous shows. And this is what I'm talking about with Ozzy with the white, the white and purple suit with the white tassels jumping around like a crazy fucking person is the uh, California Jam Festival yeah. in Ontario in 74, April 6th. That, that's on YouTube. You yeah. can check that out. 
That was a re- that's a really cool uh, a really cool way to see Sabbath because that was when they were in their absolute prime. I can't disagree with you. You know what I mean? Absolute prime. And and another thing here's here's something cool. I like I like how music festivals were culminated in the sixties and seventies because you know like modern day how we have music festivals here right? You're gonna have like a like a a, a rock festival nowadays. It's gonna be like heavy ass fucking rock bands most of the time. Most of the time, it's it's rock bands of a similar genre, unless like Welcome to Rockville throws it up a little bit. Uh, I, I can't really speak to a lot of other ones, but most of the ones that I've been to follow a specific genre. But back in like the sixties and seventies, when they had like these two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand fan shows, it wasn't uncommon to see bands like Black Sabbath play with you know Black Oak, Arkansas. Or like Earth, Wind, and Fire, Deep Purple, the Eagles, yeah, whatever. Like, which we're, are not. We're, oh, we're going to be in that city too. Sure, we'll, we'll link up. Yeah, could you imagine seeing like Sabbath and Emerson Lake and Palmer? Like, how the fuck does that <laughs> yeah. go? Well, I mean, it's kind of like going like, to a show, you know, like a festival, you know, or you know, these days. Yeah, yeah. but it's okay. a great way to make a lot of money and get your name out there and sell exactly. What you're yeah. So yeah. I like it. But today, yeah, like, you wouldn't see like somebody like Pink performing with uh, Cannibal Corpse. I mean, it's, it's t- there's, there's too many variations this, in, in these days to group everybody together. Exactly, and I think, yeah, and I think they, uh, you know, they were they were tr- they, they try to do that on on purpose. Yeah, you know, and so uh, after this point, they're they're doing their world tour, and they also change up their management. They start signing with uh, the notorious English manager Don Arden, which is. The father of Sharon Arden, aka oh, Sharon that. Osborne. Interestingly enough, uh, so they're they're going with him, and they had a bunch of litigation between their old record company and them, and blah 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 blah. So uh, Sabbath got in the studio again and started working on their sixth studio album in uh, February of 1975, again in uh, in England. Which uh, I mean, it was their their following up album, you know, Sabotage, which was released in July 1975. It was a little bit. I, I can see what they were going for because they were the, the, like. I think this is when the synth era started yeah. to come around. Yes, you know what I mean. Like the the they've they've done experiments with the blues. They've got they're like okay, we we grew off the blues. We're starting to play heavier pentatonics and, and twelve bar blues now. Now let's move on to something else. How do we make it more technical? And so they started throwing like orchestrated music in there. Started getting a little bit more technical with synths and things like that. Um, and that's that's pretty indicative of the Sabotage album, and you can you can really see that. Am I going insane? Is a good track off that one. Yeah, yeah. Hole in the sky. I, I like that pretty good. And Megalomania. Mm. That was pretty good too. Megalomania yeah. was good. Yeah, I liked I, I I liked it, but you can see it. It's almost it's weird though, because and and it's cool that Tony Iommi started doing a lot of the uh, the synthesizer and organ and harp shit too, and Bill Ward started you know branching out a little bit more and. Um, I thought it was a pretty, I thought it was a unique album. It was, and you know, it was something different from what they're used to. Cause I, I guess I can see it. Cause how much of that dark ominous shit could you possibly perpetuate before you start breaking yourself into a single, like a singular yeah. audience? Yeah, You can run it all day long, man. People eat that shit. You think and, so? And, absolutely. And, and sometimes being a little ominous and dark too. I, I mean, I, I guess, I guess it could bring a, a you know, people that, didn't think about it. They're like, oh, well, shit, this is different, but I like it. It's heavy, but really don't listen to the lyrics all yeah. that much, you know? Right. I guess that's the way I'd, I'd see it. Yeah, that's true. 
I mean, that's a, that's a great point. Um, and so they, uh, after the release of Sabotage, they went on another tour, obviously, with the Openers, a uh, band you might have heard of called Kiss. Uh, <laughs> Kiss. But, yeah, Kiss. A, a small group of guys. I don't know. I mean, they, they did okay in the 70s, early 80s. They did all right. Um, but they had to cut the sh- tour short because Ozzy hurt his fucking back, ruptured a muscle in his back or some kind of crap. So to make up for that... You know, losing their money in touring, they uh, came out with a greatest hits album. We sold our soul for rock and roll in December of '75, which is unique. I don't think I don't see many like bands back in the '70s come out with a greatest hit album. Well, because, like I said 70s. before, you have those three or four tracks that you just kind of want to pick off of each each of those albums and throw it on a greatest hits album right away. Yeah, you know. I, mm-hmm. I think ZZ Top did. I think ZZ Top had a. Did they really? I think they had a greatest hit album in the '70s because I think they took like a hiatus as well, and I'm pretty yeah. sure they. I'm pretty sure they were. Uh, this war, I can't remember what record label they were with, but I think they did release a. a well, look, shit happens. Well. They have to take a break, and the record company still wants to make money. Boom, greatest hits album. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but like I said, it's just rare. Like nowadays, well, nowadays everybody you just make your own playlist. Yeah. Everybody, you know, has a greatest. Their own greatest Everybody hits album. Greatest <laughs> hits album. Right. I, I say nowadays, like the uh, you know the proverbial early two thousands is what I'm thinking. When I say nowadays, that's I guess. Well, that's I think I mean. after the introduction know. of audio cassettes, where you can actually record at will, you know, that was kind of the end of of greatest hits albums. But then the greatest hits albums, I can I can't say that because they they made CDs, all kinds of CDs of the greatest hits. Probably you're right. The, the yeah. death of the CD in the beginning of the MP3. That's when it stopped. That's kind of when it stopped, and then that almost uh, gave birth to the you know somebody the streaming. Stuff. Somebody doing something crazy over over there because yeah, once again somebody's fighting <laughs> fucking robots. And now he's nope. he's Drew. Are you? He's making you himself a, a little Legos? whiskey no, drink. I'm, not. I'm actually making a drink. Oh, there you go. Put on yeah, some don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, so, 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 they, so uh, you know, post uh, We Sold Our Soul for Rock and Roll in 75, they began work for the next album, uh, Criteria Studios in Miami in June of 76. Uh, and they, they were further working to progress their sound a little bit. They hired a, a keyboard player, Gerald Woodruff. Um, and, it, and so, you know, they were, they were working on technical this, ecstasy at this time. So and this is uh, kind of when Naomi said, even he said, you know, He's like, yeah, I think I overdid the guitars. I, I overdid everything. I could, and even Ozzy said, well, you know, how, how, how do you think you sang on this album? He's like, I don't know. Why don't you ask Ioni? He's, he's the one that, that, that made the whole album. <laughs> so, Yeah. Well, this is also the album where Osborne starts talking about how he's, he's losing interest in Sabbath because they're, they're starting to waver, I think. I think they're burnt mm-hmm. out at this point. I think they're losing their way. A couple of them are losing their yep. interest. And, uh, you know, Ozzy started, uh, he started losing interest. Yep. You know, wasn't he, wasn't he like all into, like, wasn't that at the point in his life where he was like real heavy into drugs? Oh, bad, 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 bad. They all kind of, were, oh, he was terrible in the eighties too. Bill, I mean, come on. Come on. We're talking about the freaking oh, Prince he, of Darkness. He, he's, he was terrible two years <laughs> yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah. Right. You, you know what ter- I mean? He, that <laughs> dude's still, he's still doing them. Yeah, that, that that dude was like 19 years old and looked like he had fucking Parkinson's because <laughs> he was so geeked out of his fucking tree all the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. that's a that was another one. Technical Ecstasy. It was a difficult album. It it and it took him it took him a while. And also something interesting during this album, 
Fucking Osborne got admitted to a fucking insane asylum. Pro- well, the drugs will do it to you. <laughs> yeah. Fucking Stafford County Asylum in Great Britain. Fucking how fantastic <laughs> is that, right? That's fantastic. So it was released uh, 25 September 1976, and it also got mixed reviews, which I can kind of see that. It didn't even reach the top 50 in the U.S. Uh, it was later certified gold in 1997, but it was still, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that, you know, fantastic for no. Black Sabbath. It was no. Very good. Uh, I, I didn't. I didn't really love this album. Gypsy was pretty good. Dirty Woman or Dirty Women is a pretty good one. Uh, but I think they were, I think they were not necessarily trying too hard. They were just trying to put too much in and they strayed a little bit too far away from themselves. Yeah. This album, I think. Can't disagree. You know, I think that's, that's kind of trying too hard, I guess. I, I, I guess that's what I would say. Yeah. Um, so they started their tour in, uh, November of 76 for, you know, technical ecstasy and they toured with, uh, Boston and Ted Nugent. Nice which was pretty cool, and ACDC later on, um, which was pretty cool. Absolutely. Yep, and so in the late 77, when they started rehearsals for Never Say Die, uh, well, which was their next album at the time. I don't know if they necessarily had a name for it quite yet. Osborne Bye. quit the band. He Dumb quit ass. the band. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep, and so Iobi called uh, a former friend of his. Uh, I don't know, though. He did pretty fucking good in, in his self-titled years. Oh, man. Yeah, he, yeah. he made a, he made a, he made a <laughs> yeah. couple good tracks. <laughs> a couple good tracks. I think he had uh, yeah Blizzard one of the of best Oz solo album. careers at any artist that went solo. Yeah, the Blizzard of Oz album is still a fucking staple oh, yeah, in my CD player. Like like I said, just just a couple, mm-hmm. couple good tracks. Yeah, a couple, a couple. <laughs> uh, so so after Ozzy had quit, Iomi called uh, one of his former friends, Dave Walker. Uh, friend of the band, he had uh, been a member of Fleetwood Mac and Savoy Brown, and so he kind of filled in for Ozzy for a very, very, very short time. Uh, so I think it was early 78 is when he kind of cruised out of the band. A smart choice for that, too. <laughs> yeah. So I still, I still don't like their other choices. <laughs> no, and, and Ozzy came back for a short period. He came back in, in uh, early 78. To record that one final album, Never Say Die. He, I guess he probably went off on his own for a little bit and realized that the big world kind of sucks and he doesn't know what to do because Tony Iommi fucking did all the orchestrating of the band and Geezer Butler wrote all the fucking lyrics. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely. I, yeah, Tony Iommi, he would, he, I, I've heard him say on, on multiple different occasions that, um, that Geezer wrote the, the, you know, the majority of the lyrics, but Ozzy would come up with like, one catchy line or a catchy tune and they would build a song around Mm. it (laughs) sounds about right which is i don't mean whatever but uh (laughs) yeah so and it was funny too because ozzy wouldn't sing any of the stuff that they had written with walker either he would not do it i don't blame them yeah which is interesting uh so at this time too um they spent five months in canada recording never say Mm. die that's a long fucking time. It's, a long fucking it's time, called right? it's called writer's block. Like yeah, I'm sure it's called so fucking coked out of my tree I can't walk <laughs> to the bathroom. I bet I bet I bet because it got gold is when they started what doing Ozfest. Yeah, everybody's like, oh, I gotta start getting these albums now. Oh, uh, oh, Black Sabbath's cool. I never knew these guys existed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It reached uh, number twelve in the U.S. or in the U.K. And uh, 69 in the U.S., it did not do well. Nope. 
It didn't do well. People were smart about it. I, yeah. I don't think it's a very good album myself either. It's not fantastic. It was released in, in uh, you know, September of 78. I, I listened to it, and uh, I mean, I've heard it a few different times. Johnny Blade, that's a pretty good one. Man, nothing, nothing compares to the first four or five albums, man. That's, that's it. No, I think I think I'm with you on that. I, I don't I don't think the, it was the magic, for me either. Something happened, you know. The chemistry wasn't there. Yeah, um, and so after this, obviously they did. They began doing their tours. May '78, they started. Uh, they started touring again with Openers Van Halen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which is pretty cool. Uh, but Iomi goes back and says once again that Osborne was, he was on a completely different fucking level. Ozzy was on a completely different level. And finally, Iomi fired him in 79. Good, good for him. Got to do it. You know, you know, because there was two choices. There was either break up the band or now, fire Ozzy. He was did they already have Ozzy. Dio in the wings? No, mm. I don't think so. I don't think so at this time. Because, well, they were coming off the coattails uh of a, of an album release you know because never say die had released you know not too yeah. far before that you know and so you know they were they were riding the coattails of a of a recently released album well yeah i mean they've already have a freaking greatest hits album so what the hell do they need a you know new material for if, even if they didn't want to release it yeah and so they they couldn't they couldn't work with with ozzy anymore and so that was it he was gone get it. uh and so then they hired the illustrious Ronnie James Dio in uh, June of 79. And they started working on their next album, Heaven or Hell. Yeah. I can't stand it. I don't listen to that whatsoever. No, it wasn't. It's definitely not one of my favorites. No. Uh-uh. So I can't. Like the, the point of the, the, there's, there, to me, that's just not Black Sabbath anymore. Right. And it was released uh, 25 April uh, 1980. Which, like I said, it was it was cool for the nostalgic fact, and I was interested in heavy or heaven and hell, um, to just to see what they did yeah. with it. And because you can hear you can hear Tony, and you can hear the Black Sabbath influence. But like I was talking about offline with Drew, like it, he's Dio, obviously, you know, from an octave standpoint, completely different vocalist. But just the way that he sings, like if you pay attention to the way that Ozzy sings, Ozzy sings ahead of the vocals, you know what I mean? Like, or ahead of the, uh, of the, of the riff rather, you know, like o- Tony Iommi will play a riff and then Ozzy will sing, you know what I mean? And Dio kind of sings over the riffs. So it was, a, it was a completely different instrumental and band makeup dynamic other than the obvious, you know, personnel change to me. The sound was completely different. It, it was just too much of a change for me cool. to love it. I appreciate it because I love Dio by himself. I do. Uh, but still, I, I, I wasn't a huge fan. And you can imagine at that time because, you know, Dio, for, for such a major change, because by this time, they got eight albums under their belt and they have a huge following. And for a major frontman change like that, especially for somebody as loved and like, you know, revered as Ozzy. Absolutely. That, that hurt them. I, it's just that it, when somebody's starting to not be creative with the band, then you, you know it's you're losing the band. And Ozzy wasn't at that time; he was wasn't creative with them, which is my interpretation of it. And he's more thinking of his own shit and his own world. And it, to me, it's just it just it ruins the bands. It, to me, that wasn't it wasn't Black Sabbath after that. 
Right, exactly. And and Ronnie didn't didn't last long. He he left he left in in uh, November of 1982. One because he didn't want Iommi breathing down his throat. Because you got to think also, like when you change a frontman after having eight albums, you have a sound, you have a battle rhythm, and you have three of the other original members in the band. You know what I mean? Like it's gonna be their way. You're gonna be the new guy like mm-hmm. forever. You know Absolutely. what I mean? And, and and Dio wasn't having it. You know, and I can't blame him. Absolutely. I, I can't, can't blame him. Either. He wanted to do his own thing because Dio's a powerhouse. I'll give respect where respect is due. Dio's a powerful vocalist. You know, he's got a great oh, He's sense one of the of iconic guys from the 80s metal scene, you know? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. You know, he's, he's a fantastic. He just didn't fit. And I, I don't think anybody will ever fit again. If you look, you know, we're running out of time here, but if you look into, you know, we're not going to go into the rest of, of Black Sabbath's discography because, one, it's fairly extensive. I think they had, like, yeah, nine more albums live albums after that, well, with a couple of we, live albums thrown in there, and and they were they had some good stuff on them, but you know all of it the entire time from 1980 on was Black Sabbath searching yeah. for Black Sabbath. Yep, absolutely. Because Black Sabbath left the building. With True, did you want to mention uh, the Nativity and Black series? Oh yeah, nobody's ever heard of these albums, Nativity and Black. There's one and two. Um, off the first one, just to give you a few, Children of the Grave is um, re- originally released on Master of Reality, and then Megadeth or White Zombie covers it. Paranoid is done by Megadeth. That's cool. Sepultura does uh, sy- uh, sy- Symptom of the Universe, and then you also have Faith No More doing War Pigs on there. Ugly Kid Joe doing Nativity in Black, and Typo Negative doing Black Sabbath. Just a really cool, oh, yeah. good album, man. And then the second one was, I'm sorry, the first one was released in October uh, 4th, 94. And then the second one was released June 6th of 2000, which was in the height of Ozfest, which a lot of these bands played there. Uh, you had Godsmack opening out the album with Sweet Leaf. Machine Head is on there doing a hole in this guy. Megadeth's back on there by Never Say Die. Static X uh, behind the wall of sleep. Pantera doing Electric Funeral. And Primus is doing it with Ozzy Osbourne doing Nativity in Black. I can't believe I've never heard of this. Slayer, Soulfly, Head P.E., Monster Magnet. Buster Rhymes is on there uh, featuring Ozzy Osbourne doing Iron Man. Really? And I Those, that yeah, double just, tribute album really good, is probably the, the best tribute album ever made. Dude, yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty cool, man. Anybody gets a chance, or you guys, when you guys get off the phone, or you know, definitely will check them out, man. It's it's really good listens. Yeah, I'll be listening That's to that good. shortly. It's worth it. So anyway, that wraps up another episode, another special quarantine episode. I'm hoping the next episode that we do, we can actually be together across the table from each other again. Um, obviously, uh, well, as always. Go give us a check out on uh, Facebook, Instagram at the Rock Isn't Dead. It's just sleeping page. And we will be doing more T-shirt giveaways as soon as this fucking asshole virus gets the fuck out of here so we can. I think we're going to re- review uh, Local Ooh. H's new uh, album called Lifers next time. Exactly. Uh, exactly. I'm going to go check that out also with the Nativity in Black series. I got some fucking homework, man. Some homework that I'm <laughs> yeah. excited about. <laughs> I'm about to go jack in and fucking get it. Do it, baby. Do it. Do it. Well, any. All right, guys. We will see you in two weeks. Bye, guys.